Costa Rica Travel Pass is a paid sponsor of Mormon Discussion Podcast. Costa Rica Travel Pass helps families enjoy Costa Rica flexibly, independently, and affordably. A family of four can enjoy a week in Costa Rica for under $1,200 plus airfare. If you're ready for an out-of-the-bus vacation that your family will always remember, visit Costa Rica Travel Pass at CostaRicaTravelPass.com or calling 1-877-780-7277. Mormon Discussion Podcast is an effort to help Latter-day Saints like you strengthen your faith and to support you in your trials of faith. This podcast operates on the donations of listeners like you. To help this podcast, please consider making a donation at mormondiscussion.podbean.com. On the right-hand side, about halfway down. Thank you. Another episode of Mormon Discussion. I am your host, Bill Real. I'm grateful to have you with us today. You can reach me by email at realmormon at gmail.com. That's R-E-E-L-M-O-R-M-O-N at gmail.com. You can find this podcast on iTunes, but you're only going to find the most recent 20 or so episodes. So please check out the podcast at its host site, mormondiscussion.podbean.com. That's mormondiscussion, all one word, dot P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com. You can also find us on Facebook under the name Mormon Discussion, all one word. Now to what you've been waiting to hear. This is a special episode of Rewind Replay where we take earlier episodes in this podcast that are either favorites of mine or favorites of listeners and replay them since our audience today is tenfold bigger than it was in the first few months that this podcast ran. And so this will give new listeners a chance to hear old episodes that uh, that I think are meaningful and are important to the discussion. And so with that, let's go to part two of a four-part series on the doctrine of Christ. Last time around, we did uh, a couple areas in the doctrine of Christ. And so today, I'd like to start by talking about weakness and humility. And so if you missed the last podcast, you're going to want to listen to that first. You're going to want to listen to these in order. Um, you're just going to get a lot more from them if you do that. And so let's begin. By falling short of the law and recognizing we are sinners, nothing more, nothing less, we come to a realization that we have weaknesses that cannot be overcome by our own strength and resolve. In fact, Ether 12.27 tells us that our weakness comes from Heavenly Father, again supporting God's intention for us to see ourselves as fallen. He gave us the struggles, whether they be the word of wisdom, tithing, home teaching, pornography, lack of kindness, gossip, or any other shortcoming. Perhaps God is telling us that while we should strive to improve and rid ourselves of these flaws or vices, that it is he who placed them in us. Now, why would he do that? He does see, see, what does seeing one's own flaws do for us? Ether 12.27 continues to tell us that Heavenly Father gave us this weakness to humble us. It is in recognizing of our weakness that we begin to allow Christ to begin to work a mighty change within us. Notice in B&C 135.5 that it is because Joseph saw his weakness... Uh, that there was a change that began. You see, this humility must be sincere and deeply felt. In fact, ENC 67.10 talks about that. Otherwise, we are simply going through the motions and we're fooling ourselves. Pride is the number one deterrent preventing us from salvation. 
Pride keeps us from repenting. It keeps us from confessing, from acknowledging God's superiority and our inferiority without him. For God to teach us, to help us progress, he needs us to be humble. We are taught that weakness is given so that we might look to Christ, his atonement, and his grace as the true source of our salvation. Jacob chapter 4, verse 7. The only way we will truly turn to the plan of salvation is through being humbled or being humble. There is a difference. Some do choose to humble themselves. And the Lord is grateful for those who do not need to be compelled. That's Alma chapter 32, verse 14. Alma proceeds to tell us the rest of the way through the chapter, the progression that follows through the beginning step of humility. You see, each of us has a choice. We can choose to be humble, and the plan of happiness will be open to us, or we can be compelled to be humble and given a chance to look to Christ and his gospel. So often, we go through life thinking we caused our flaws and we have to fix them on our own. But both of these assumptions are incorrect. Back to Ether 12.27. It tells us not only does God give us weakness, but he also has the ability to make them our greatest strengths. In any particular flaw where we will humble ourselves enough to look solely to God's plan to fix the weakness, he can and will fix it. Not on our own, not by our effort, not our work or by our own merits, but through Christ. You see, God looks to bless us in spite of our flaws, in spite of our weaknesses, not because of them. If you get a chance, take a look at D&C 38, verse 14. Now, why is this? It's because he loves us and knows that it is only with the power of his son's atonement we can ever overcome those same flaws and weaknesses. Without the enabling power brought by the atonement, we can never hope to be more than the natural man. We are his children, his sons and daughters. Why wouldn't a heavenly parent want to bless his children? He doesn't do this at no cost, though we must be humble before he can show us the way. D&C 5.24 What is this way he will show us? It is his plan that begins at the straight and narrow gate. It leads to the first principles and ordinances of the gospel, directly to faith and repentance, if we'll choose. Alma 32.13 God doesn't humble us just so we can see we are nothing. He humbles us so that we can let go of the pride in the looking to oneself for salvation. Humility then turns us to Christ and helps us rely wholly upon him. God, this whole time, is simply trying to get us to look to his Son, the Savior of the world. That has been his plan since the worlds were created. It is at this segue that the Holy Ghost enters in with greater force and begins to help us once we are through the gate on the path to Christ. Alma chapter 13, verse 28. You see, the Spirit works through humility, not pride. Many of the steps of the gospel are designed to humble us. Repentance is humbling. Subjecting oneself to baptism is humbling. Marriage is humbling. Parenting is humbling. Life is designed to humble us. Humility is one of the main ingredients in true change. From there, we move on to faith. The moment we're humble, we are ready to exercise true faith. Faith is the first principle of the gospel, and likely the most powerful factor in the gospel. Once we are humble, we are prepared to exercise real faith. Genuine faith is relying wholly on God and not on ourselves. By faith, our mountains moved and miracles are brought to pass. It is also much simpler than that, though, as we shall live by faith. Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. Yet faith alone cannot save us. For without works or an exercising of our faith, faith alone is dead. James chapter 2 verse 17. We even relinquish our sin by repentance through faith, and we take on God's perfection through faith. Philippians 3 9. You see, one of the most important principles of the gospel, the enabling power of grace, is tapped into by faith. That's found in Romans chapter 5 verse 2. 
Faith, by definition, must be based on truth. It is impossible to have faith in something else. Alma chapter 32, verse 21. See, faith is things hoped for, but not seen, that are true. As Alma points out in the 32nd chapter, faith is not to know the certainty, a truth in the gospel. Once one knows something for 100% surety, it becomes a perfect knowledge and is no longer based on faith. In fact, Moroni chapter 7, verse 25 and 26 tell us that the process of the plan of salvation begins with faith, that in order to save us, faith must be exercised, and it is the starting point of our salvation. If we were to compare the plan of salvation to an automobile, while Christ is the fuel or the life-giving force, faith in him is the engine or the part that gets the rest of the car moving. While the other parts are needed, the car without fuel and an engine are useless. So how do we exercise faith? The power of real faith is enormous. And yet if our faith is not sincere, or we are only half invested, we will likely be found wanting in regard to the rest of the gospel blessings. We can't move on to grace and mercy and the Holy Ghost or the mighty change of sanctification until we exercise real faith. Not a perfect faith, but a consistent progression, a growth or exercising of faith. Pick out something you believe is true. And then as Alma says, give room for it to grow within you. Maybe you are unable to buy into the whole thing, the whole plan of God. Then just give room for a particle and see if it grows within you as as you nourish it and tend to it. See if it bears fruit. Once you begin to see the growth in whatever particle you have nourished, then Alma says we can know for surety that it is good. And while that won't give us perfect faith, we can have a perfect faith in that thing. Once we know a seed is good, we can at that point move on to the next point or particle. If we do this, moving from fruit-bearing principle to fruit-bearing principle, our faith will grow over time by leaps and bounds. For example, in my life, one particle I have nourished is the Book of Mormon. I have felt like Nephi when he said, Hearken unto these words, and believe in Christ. And if you believe not in these words, believe in Christ. And if you shall believe in Christ, you will believe in these words, for they are the words of Christ. And he hath given them unto me, and they teach all men that they should do good. That's Second Nephi 33.10. So one particle I planted a long time ago is the seed that the Book of Mormon is good and will lead me closer to Christ. After having read it from cover to cover, I came to a perfect knowledge that this book was good, that this seed bore fruit every time I read from its pages. Did that mean Joseph was a prophet or that the church was true? No. But see, it doesn't even mean that the Book of Mormon is historical necessarily, at least not to begin with. One can simply see if the book leads them to Christ. Now... Those other things, Joseph being a prophet, the church being true, the Book of Mormon being a historical work, those were new particles to plant and to nourish and to see if they bear fruit. The best advice I have is to be active in planting and nourishing seeds, principles, ideas or concepts. Study them out in your mind. Give a place within you for them to grow. Next time around, we'll talk about grace. And that's where we start to get into the meat of this whole uh, discussion on the doctrine of Christ. I hope you enjoyed this week. It may have been a little shorter than than I was hoping it would be, but, but I want to stop here because I think grace and the mighty change and sanctification and those other wonderful things that, that happen once we start to exercise faith, I want to wait until we can cover that in, a, in another episode. So again, you can reach me at realmormon at gmail.com. Let me know what kind of topics you want to talk about. If anybody out there wants to do an interview with me, please let me know. I've got one uh, person who has agreed to do so. I don't know when that will happen, but... Um, um, please keep following along. I hope you're enjoying this. I hope you find this different than other LDS podcasts. And uh, if you think you see something that I can improve on, uh, let me know. 
Again, LDS Leadership Principles at Facebook and also mormondiscussion.podbean.com. And again, the email is realmormon at gmail.com. I hope you have an awesome night. God bless you. And may the Lord warm your shoulders. Have a great day. Say what?